Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, with Pastor John King. Tito Festival, we have somebody's making special gospel tracks that, uh, that have trivia questions on them. I, I wish I had, I'll get you an example I can show you. Uh, but it's a way to have an icebreaker with the folks that you, uh, that you run into and uh, the folks that you reach out to. So... Uh, again, uh, I just want to echo what Heidi said. Let's, let's try to put this together as a church family. Well, this morning we're going to be in, back in the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. We'll be in verses 1 through 19. While you're turning there, uh, let me just remind you, it's been a couple weeks. Um, but last time we looked at Daniel, we saw his second vision. We looked into that in, in chapter 8. And we covered all of chapter 8. We won't do a whole chapter today. But this uh, second vision required another heavenly interpreter, the angel Gabriel. And the vision was, uh, if you recall, it zoomed in on this power struggle, this, uh, this conflict between two ancient empires, the Medo-Persians, represented by the ram, and the two horns, which was led by Cyrus the Persian. And then you had the Greeks, which were represented by the male goat, with a prominent horn between his eyes, led by the infamous Alexander the Great. And we learned that these ancient empires, especially the Greek and Roman empires, were used by God to prepare the way for Jesus, his first coming to a world that had sort of an established infrastructure through the Roman you know, empire. They had roads and bridges and such. And then the language, the Greek language, we said, that was the language of the day when Jesus came, Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek. And that's what was spoken throughout. And so when the Bible was written, and the New Testament was written mostly in Greek, it was able to spread very rapidly. And that's because God chose what's known as the fullness of time. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Paul wrote, he said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So the, the fullness of time had come, and so God was able to use these empires for his greater purposes. You know, remember, this is a big... God is the architect of all of, of humanity, all of history, all of things known, all things created, and, you know, all things that were created were created by him. So God is fully in charge. And so that we see clearly when we study the book of Daniel. Now this week, our chapter 9 takes us back to the year 539 B.C. And as you may recall from chapter 5, this was the year that Babylon fell to the Medo-Persians. And Daniel already knew this from his prophetic dream image of Nebuchadnezzar, which was back in chapter 2, and his own vision, which we saw in chapter 7. He knew that this change of world power was going to happen. And we've noted that in this final section, these final chapters in the book of Daniel, that the written language changed from Aramaic back to Hebrew. Because the prophecies are now focused on God's plans for the nation Israel, by and large, here throughout the rest. The next event for the nation Israel, this exiled nation, is their return from the 70-year exile. And today, we will watch as Daniel is reminded that two other prophets had predicted both the fall of Babylon 
and its connection to the exile. Remember, the fall of Babylon didn't just happen in a vacuum. It's connected to the return and the end of the exile. And these two prophets were Jeremiah and, of course, Isaiah. And it's from Daniel's personal study from a passage from Jeremiah that speaks to, of restoration, in other words, of exile. And in turn, what it does is it fuels this amazing prayer that we're going to read today by the prophet Daniel. So let's read that right now. We're going to read that together. Verses 1, well, I'll read and you guys follow along with me. Verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And then I set my face toward the Lord God to make my request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither we have heard, heeded your servants, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is in this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law, Moses, the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against God, excuse me, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us such a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done to what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name. It is this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, 
because of your sins, our sins, and the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people who are called by your name. Heavenly Father, may our time in prayer be taken this seriously. May we prepare to pray. And may we come before you with such a concern for our own lives. Lord, may it be that we desire to worship you and confess our sins and seek your mercy as Daniel did. And as we pray for those and our loved ones, especially those who are lost, our prodigals, our neighbors, our town, our, our country, Lord, as we pray for our leaders, Lord, may we do it with fervency. May we do it with a purpose in mind, with humble hearts. Now go before us, Lord, we ask as we study your word that we may be equipped better to serve you. And this we pray all things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So the first thing we see is Daniel is seeking answers from God. You know, it's, uh, Daniel is the one who has been the interpreter of dreams. Uh, and he's been seeking answers either from God's messengers about the visions he's been having. Um, but he also seeks answers from God. But he does it in a way that we haven't encountered yet uh, today in this, chap- uh, in this book. He does it through the Word of God, through the Scriptures. And that's the primary way that you and I seek answers from God, is it not? Amen. It's through our Bible study. And our time and our time and our devotions, but as we noted in in uh, the reading of verse one, it, the time is the first year of Darius, the son of Ahuzeris, which is 538 to 539 BC, which is a very busy year for Daniel. A lot of things are happening in that year. It's a busy year for Babylon because that's the year that they are overthrown and taken over. And so we we saw back in chapter five and 531 that. This Darius the Mede, he received the kingdom after they took over the city of Babylon. He was about 62 years old. And so Daniel's just giving us kind of the context where he's at. You know, he's kind of bringing us to the location where he had this, uh, this time in prayer with the Lord, this awesome time in prayer with the Lord. And he says in the first year of his reign, uh, um, Darius the Mede, he goes, I, Daniel, understood the books... By the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. So Daniel's giving a first-person account. Now by the books, we mean uh, by the scriptures that were available to them at that time. The Old Testament scriptures are the words of the prophets. And it says here the number of years, we know it's going to be 70 years that they will be held captive. But what's interesting here is how Daniel addresses God. Because he addresses God with the capital L-O-R-D, Yehovah, Yeshua. This is the covenant name for the nation Israel. And this is the first time in all of the book of Daniel, and only four more times 
in this chapter that he will use that covenant name. Why? Why is he so uh, re, you know, resistant to using God's covenant name? And the answer is because they're still in rebellion. And so they didn't want to remind themselves, like he's going to say in his prayer, the shame of faith that they had, but the fact that they were exiled because of their rebellion. And so they wouldn't use his covenant name very often, and obviously Daniel only used it five times. And he says, I, Daniel, understood the writings of Jeremiah that he, God, would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What does that mean? Well, the city was left in ruin. It was left in waste by Nebuchadnezzar and the invading armies. Where did Daniel read this? Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 13 is where you find it. This is where Daniel was in his Bible study that day. And it says there, Jeremiah 25, 11 through 13, you see it. It says, And the whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the uh, king of Babylon for 70 years. So they're going to be carried away captivity for 70 years. But verse 12 says, Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I, God, will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Well, what happened in 539 B.C.? The, the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had set up was overtaken, over, overrun by the Chaldeans. So God used Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument for his purposes, but he didn't withhold the punishment that Nebuchadnezzar deserved for his pagan and idolatry. And so he, he said this in advance, what it was going to happen. And verse 13 of this particular passage says, So I will bring on the land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning the nations. So that's where Daniel was. Daniel was reading this, and he's, he's, he's almost, you know, you know how the word of the Lord just comes alive. And he was reading this prophecy of Jeremiah, and that's what brought about this prayer. We also have Jeremiah's letter to the captives sometime after 598 B.C. where Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 29.10. He says, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. He had to write that letter because false prophets were saying, Oh, you know, it's only going to be a short while. We're only going to be in this thing for just a couple years, you know. It's just, you guys will be back in the land in no time. But God's prophet said, no, you're going to be there for the long haul. You might as well plant your crops. And you might as well, you know, become productive in the society that you're in. Because you're going to be there for 70 years. But you will be taken out. You will be um, returned to your land. Uh, additionally, it's worth noting, uh, as we mentioned, the prophet Isaiah. He prophesied of the rise of the Persian king Cyrus. This was all prophesied by him, who would then conquer Babylon, even though it was Darius the Mede who was given the kingdom, it was really under the auspices of King Cyrus. And he would conquer Babylon and set God's people free from exile. Isaiah 44, 21 and 28. He said, remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant, I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel, and you will not be forgotten by me. Those are words that we need to hold dearly too sometimes, folks. Who, he says, who says to Cyrus, this is what he says in 28, He is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, or we should say rebuilt. 
and the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And we know that when the exile was ended, that they came back and they laid the foundation of the temple and they rebuilt the walls with Ezra and Nehemiah and all that, all the, those uh, folks. Now, you, you, you might have a question, uh, maybe two questions about the 70 years of exile. What, what, what was this? You know, one question is, somebody could ask, well, why did God exile his people? And the reason is, is because of their continued rebellion. They refused to listen to the prophets like Jeremiah and their wickedness. So they were rebellious and they were also wicked. They refused to repent of their evil ways by the false worship of other gods. You see, judgment was prophesied on this land. And one of the main things that they were exiled for was their failure to give the land a rest. In Leviticus 26, God spelled it out. He says, when you grow, there's an agrarian society. He says, when you grow your crops, you'll grow your crops for six years, and the seventh year you will take a rest. You will give the land a rest, and you will harvest enough crops to be able to weather that one-year time. But for probably four, well, we do the math, 490 years they rebelled against God, and they did not give the land a rest. And so 400 49 times 7 is what? 70 years. So for 70 years, the land would have its rest. And God's like, you know, I don't mess around. When I tell you to do something, I expect you to do it. That was his, you know, his thing with the people, and that's why he had to exile his people. Now, you might want to ask the question, well, okay, when did the exile begin? And there are different views on when it began, but most likely, I believe it began in 605 B.C. when Jerusalem was attacked and the first captives were deported. This included Daniel and his companions. And then in 536, 537 B.C., the first exiles were returned to their land and the foundation of the temple were laid. Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says, When Daniel made this discovery about the 70 years, the period of captivity was about to end. Okay, it was like he, this, the light came on and God used Daniel to, to, to pray for this nation and to prepare for the return. So, uh, Wiersbe says, if Daniel was taken captive uh, to Babylon in 605 and he discovered Jeremiah's prophecy in 539, then he would be about 66 or 67 years old because he was a teenager, uh, we believe, when he was taken captive. And so the next year, which was 538 B.C., Cyrus would make his decree. Now, he made his decree, but they didn't actually start going for another year. It says Cyrus would make his decree, permitting the Jews to return to their land. The prophet was probably at that time about 81 years old. So he'd seen a lot. He'd seen Nebuchadnezzar. He'd seen the Persian Empire. And now he would actually see he would not be able to return to the land. Daniel would stay in Babylon for several years after. And, but he rejoiced that others could return. Kind of like Moses, you know, he wasn't able to enter the promised land. But God used him mightily. And so what did Daniel do with this revelation? When you receive a word from the Lord, from his word, is it just for your own curiosity? Is it just so you can be more puffed up in scriptural knowledge? Not usually, okay? I would say for those questions that I just presented to you, no. Maybe curiosity, yes, but certainly not to be puffed up in knowledge of scriptures, especially if you don't intend to use it and put it to use in your life. And so what Daniel did was, he says, well, then I set my face toward the Lord God. 
to make my request by prayer and supplications. And he prepared himself by fasting. He did it in sackcloth and ashes. That was a custom. In fact, fasting and prayer was considered to be one and the same for the, for the devout Jews of the day. They didn't always have to say um, prayer and fasting because they would consider that to be one and the same. And then what, look what he says. He says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make my request by prayer. He was moved by the word of God to take action. How was he going to take action? He was going to do it by prayer. Our most powerful weapon that we have. And we think that, you know, we, we, we substitute all the other things for it. So he's going to have a conversation. That's what prayer is. It's through direct access to God that you and I have. It can be oral, it can be mental, it can be occasional, it can be constant, it can be in times of excitement, in times of distress, in times of joy, or it can be a formal, more formal like we do when we gather. But one thing it needs to be, several things, first off it needs to be sincere. When we talk about praying to the Lord, it needs to be sincere. It needs to be with reverence, it needs to be with humility. That godly fear that who we are approaching boldly to the throne is the creator of the universe, our Father in heaven. It must be offered in faith to believe that God exists and that he hears and he responds according to his will. And so he comes by prayer and supplications. Supplications meaning he's seeking favor from God. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel was carefully planning his prayer of intercession on behalf of his people with humility and with grief in his heart. Why? Because he knew how important it was to get his heart and mind set right before God. He says, I set my face before God. <clears throat> Chuck Smith says about this passage, he says, you know, I always like a prayer that works. And I like reading about prayers that work. And he goes, I especially like prayers that work and are answered quickly. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's right. So if you want an example of prayers that actually worked and prayers that were answered quickly, hey, we have one right here. But how did Daniel know how to prepare? Well, he was, he was a Hebrew. He was brought up. He's a, he was a Jew. In Leviticus 26, God's instruction, verses 40 through 45. I'm not going to read the passage. I want to hit some highlights there. First of all, we realize that prayer is a two-way street between you and I, or you and I, between us and God. It's a two-way street. He says, God says, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers. Okay, so we start in with confession coming before God. And then he says later in verse 41, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt. God responds in verse 42, Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. Now, is it, is, did God forget? Does God forget when we remind him about things? No, but that's how he likes us to approach him. We should desire to please him. He says, I will remember the land. And, in, and he says in verse 43, They will accept their guilt. Accepting one's guilt. And look at his promises in verse 44. I will not cast them away. In verse 45, but for their sight, their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors. See, God respects the words that he used. He respects the covenants that he made with his people. And he wants to honor that. 
But you see, it's a two-way street. And so Daniel knew how to do that. He knew how to approach God. Now, we frequently repeat what's known as the summarized version. And we see that in 2 Chronicles 7.14. You guys are very familiar with this particular prayer, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's been a very prominent prayer for a while now. That's, you know, we're, we cry for revival in our nation. We cry for these prayers. These prayers are prayed publicly. These prayers are prayed in the public square. They're prayed in the Capitol in Washington, D.C. by Christians who gather. They're prayed by us in our gatherings. They're prayed by us when we go out and we, you know, we, we go for a prayer walk outside of an abortion uh, facility. Because we know that our country is guilty and we share in the guilt. And so here we have Daniel. Now this, this whole thing really highlights the importance of personal Bible study. I heard a very disturbing statistic once again. When, when they survey Christians in, in our country and they go through the different age groups, you know, you have the millennials and the Gen X and Ys and Zs and whatever and up to the boomers and, you know, all of the different generations. And as you get older and older in generations in America, you see that, uh, the, I should say, as you go younger, as you look younger, okay, to these kids down the hallway down there, the future of our church, the future of, of God's kingdom here on earth, you see a smaller, increasingly smaller desire to even read the word of God even once a year, okay? The statistics are staggering. The fact that, you know, people don't consider Bible study, personal devotions to be a, a habit, a spiritual habit to be in. It goes down, it diminishes, and it's just, it goes way down. So people may read their Bible, oh, you know, once a week, eh, maybe once a month, maybe once every couple months. Or I may hear the word when I come on Sunday, when somebody serves it up to me. And we will continue to do that, by the way. And I'm not saying, I, I got to believe that the, those statistics do not fit this particular church. But I can't say for tr true, because God sees all of our hearts. He sees when we, when we push that aside, Right? But the importance of personal Bible study, why? First of all, it brings truth. First, or 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine. You need doctrine. It is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's necessary. So it brings truth in a world of untruth. The Bible brings truth. The Bible also, the Word of God, brings hope. Psalm 119, 114 and 16, we read some of that this morning. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. <laughs> So the Word of God, the personal Bible study is needed because we need truth. We need hope, and of course we need encouragement. Of course we need encouragement. And Hebrews 6, 13 through 18, again, I will not try to read that whole passage, but if you're taking notes, there it is. Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. When God gave His promise through Abraham, you, know, you remember this, the, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews remembers that, and he recalls it for us. It says, when God gave His promise through Abraham to bless and multiply a nation through him, Abraham had to endure patience and hardship before he could obtain the promise from God. 
You know, it's not like, hey, here we have a, par- a prayer that's sincere and is answered quickly, but most of the time we know that it's not like that. So we need encouragement for our endurance, just like Abraham did. The promise that his wife Sarah would bear children. But because God swore by himself, and because there was no one greater, Abraham trusted on what? God's promise and God's oath. God actually swore by himself because it is impossible for God to lie, as you see in the scripture there. And at the end of that, verse 19, notice where we we place our anchor, okay? He says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. We tie up to that hope. So we have truth, we have hope, we have his encouragement, which is another word for consolation. And then we also see the importance of us understanding the times. Why? Why is it important for you and I to understand the times we live in? The times that Daniel lived in. You know, he knew he was about two or three years away from this promise of being returned, that the nation would be returned from exile. Where we're at today, we know we're, as a New Testament, we know that the next thing that can happen, and nothing needs to happen, no prophetic thing needs to happen before Jesus can rapture the church. Okay? So we need to be ready. We need to understand the times. Why? Because of what it does. It should do what it did to Daniel. It should do to us. It should lead us to prayer and fasting. And repentance. Because in our prayer, it's repentance. And how is God going to bless the nation, my people, if our, our congregations in this country are maybe up to 70% of the men are viewing porn on their off time and a high percentage of women? How is God going to do that if, unless we are praying and fasting and repenting? I don't see any other way. But especially we join in prayer and fasting. We, we do that as intercessors when we grieve the state of our nation, our culture, our prodigal children, our grandchildren, or our fallen brother or a sister. Is it wise to store up food? Yes, it's wisdom. Is it wise to plant a garden? Of course it is. I like gardens. Is it wise to invest in gold and silver? It may be. But never ever at the expense of not seeking first the kingdom of God, which comes through prayer and fasting and studying his word. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And the things that he listed prior to that was your clothing and your food and your provision and everything that you would ever have. But he said, first seek the kingdom of God. You see, Daniel, I I agree with the writer here, he said, Daniel is a wonderful example of balance in our spiritual life. Balance. Because he devoted himself to both the word of God and to prayer. And as I said earlier, do we just study the word so we can be fat with theological knowledge? Or just simply our curiosity? We need to put it to work. Some people, some believers, writes this one writer, Warren Wiersbe, I'll quote him, he said, some believers are so wrapped up in prophetic studies that they have little concern for the practical outworking of God's will. I'm not saying that to anybody here. It's a reminder for all of us. All they want to do is satisfy their curiosity and then proudly share their insights on YouTube. 
When Daniel learned God's truth, the experience actually humbled him and moved him to worship and to pray. That's the point. You can agree or not. And yes, we are living in crazy times. Like things we've never seen. We know that this nation is crumbling. We know that judgment is coming. I do not diminish that. And I commend those that take it seriously. My encouragement to you, hopefully, is simply to use this model prayer as a way to approach the world around us. As you're aware of what's going on. And so here we have, well, we finally got to verse 4. Sorry. I'm not going to read it all. Uh, So verses 4 through 15. This is Daniel's prayer. Daniel is seeking God's mercy and his forgiveness. First, he starts in verse 4 with worship. It says, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, and he made an an acknowledgement of his sins. Now, here we have, we talk about Daniel, and you know, none of his personal sins are brought up in the scriptures, right? But notice how Daniel does identify himself as a sinner. He says, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him. Notice how Daniel petitions God based on God's faithfulness. Never do we come to to the Lord in our own strength. We come based on his faithfulness. Psalms 96.4, God is great. It says, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And he's awesome. King James Version says he's dreadful. this, This should inspire reverence. This is what we know as a healthy, godly fear. And then his covenant is with, at the time, his covenant is with the nation Israel. He's reminding them of the covenant that he made at Sinai. We're studying through the book of Exodus and all that we're talking about on Wednesday nights. And his mercy, God's loving kindness. You see, he condescends to the needs of his people. This is what's called his loyal love to us. And notice the two-way street with those who love him. His people and their love toward God. It says those who love him. Do you love God? Do you love your Father in heaven? And with those who keep his commandments. This speaks of our love for God. And it's expressed by what? Consistent obedience. By keeping watch over your soul. By taking responsibility for your spiritual growth and well-being. That's what God expects from us. We know we're not perfect. He knows we're not perfect. But we, will, we need to take responsibility. Next, in the, the next ten verses, he, he, starts, he starts to confess sin. You know, again, such an important thing to do. We don't often do that in our corporate times of prayer. But why not? You know, maybe we're embarrassed. You know, that's something we don't want to do. We just, we just want to bring our prayer requests, and that's good. We want to encourage that. But sometimes you and I need to confess before God in front of others. It doesn't have to be super specific, but we need to let know that we're, let people know that we're repentant before the Lord. We get to do that today before we take communion, by the way. Yes. And he says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. To sin is to miss the goal or the path of what's right and one's, what's duty, you know, what is his duty. And iniquity is to, is to do wrong, it's guilt. 
We have done wickedly and rebelled. Again, notice how Daniel includes himself and he identifies with his people before the Lord. He says, even departing from your precepts and your judgments, they failed to obey the, observe the Sabbath rest for 490 years. They practiced idolatry. They doubted the word of God. Did he really mean that? Can we take it literally today that God says this and that about sin or heaven and hell? Excuse me. It says, six, neither have we heeded your servants, God's messengers, who spoke in your name. But notice, to our fathers and all the people of the land, the parents, the parents of the families, they're refusing to hear about it. And then he says, O oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face as it is this day to the men of Judah. You see, God was right. And he acted within his covenant stipulations. Shame of face or confusion of face. You can't look God in the eye because your face is covered with shame. You know you're wrong and you know you need to repent. And because God identifies with them, his people, and us, his people, it brings shame to the name of God. When we argue and we fight and we divide over things that don't need to be divided when we don't love one another, which is what people are looking for. They want to see how we treat each other when they say, do we want to be a part of this? They want to see how it is we treat one another. Verse 8, he says, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we've sinned against you. Why do we pray for our leaders, those in society, because they're the ones that lead society to places that can come against the Lord and that can bring shame upon God. And he says, because we have sinned against you. This is a clear declaration that this was on them. He says, to our Lord God belong mercy and forgiveness, so we have rebelled against him. Again, he's, he's speaking of God's attributes, speaking of God's faithfulness. For mercy, which is compassion to the miserable. Forgiveness, which is pardon. Pardoning of our sins, which happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. That he paid the price so that we might be pardoned. Forgiveness. Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness of truth. That's God's attributes. He says, though we have rebelled against him, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. In verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws. Again, they're ignoring or refusing to hear God's messengers. If you participate in the potato festival, and we're going to have evangelists out there, uh, you know, these are, these are people that do it full time, and they're not the obnoxious kind, by the way. But you're going to see how people will ignore or refuse to hear God's message. You're just going to see it. You know it, but you're going to see it, in, you know, in that setting. And it's, it's, you know, it's the truth. And so our hope is to continue to be a reminder to bring the gospel to our community. Verse 11, it says, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. He's talking about corporate guilt. 
Even though they were righteous people, there were righteous people among the many. There will always be a remnant. There was always a remnant of true believers walking in obedience to God. The nation still suffered. The nation still suffered. And they were stubborn and stiff-necked because they knew right from wrong and they chose otherwise. He says, therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. So God had already warned them back in Deuteronomy 28 what would happen and the fact that it would be a disaster. And he goes on in verse 12, he has confirmed by his words. In other words, he carried out his words. He fulfilled Daniel is not making excuses for his sin, their sin or his sin. And then it says, For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. God commissioned. This was a historic event for the nation because judgment had come. Verse 13, As it is written in the law of Moses, this disaster has come upon us, Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God. Okay, stop there for a minute. Look at that. All this time, they've been exiled for nearly 70 years, and Daniel here declares that nobody's been praying to God. Nobody's been seeking the Lord. They've been getting all comfortable in Babylon. Really? Even after being taken captive? And then he says, We pray that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. God's purpose in suffering and trials is so that we would turn from our sins and understand His truth. It was a self-inflicted calamity, a disaster that they brought upon themselves. So in verse 14, he says, Therefore, because you haven't been praying, he says, Therefore, he has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. Why? Because he holds them accountable. He holds you and I accountable. He's not going to sweep things under the rug, folks. None of us, we can't just keep putting our sin aside, putting it in a little box, and ignoring it, because God will not ignore it. It says, though we have not obeyed his voice, because God is righteous, and because sin has consequences. And he says, and now, O Lord God, our God, who brought your people out of this land of Egypt with his mighty hand and made yourself a name as to this day. He's reminding God of what he had done in the past. In the past, he had been merciful. When you and I come before the Lord, we can remind him the same thing. When we come to confess our sins, he says, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Again, he's not making excuses, but he's calling on God's mercy. He's given us that. Look, I hope you and I have maybe just a little bit of a renewed understanding of what a thorough confession looks like. Because each and every one of us could spend time before God and just bring it before Him. And, and, and you say, well, I, my sins are forgiven. Yes, they have. Thank you, Jesus. But we, if you say you don't sin, you're making God a liar. We need to keep a short list of our sins. This is the reason why. They went too long without approaching God. And now they have an intercessor praying on their behalf. 
Now, thankfully, we have an intercessor who sits at the right hand of the Father, Jesus, making intercession for us. But it's so important for us to keep a short list of our sins, as the saying goes. And notice, finally, he's now asking God for mercy. Having confessed the sins of the nation, he asked God for mercy in verses 16 through 19. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteousness... I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. He's now asking God to subdue his wrath and to, on the basis of his own legacy of forgiveness. God is, God's legacy is not punishment. His legacy is forgiveness. And he says, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to everyone around us. So he's, he's saying... Based on, Lord, your past mercy, based on your history of being a merciful God, and even despite the shame that we brought to your name to the surrounding nations, will you have mercy on us? Will you forgive us? And he says, now therefore, verse 17, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. Hear and bring favor. We can say that to God. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. You know, the darkness. He says, when the light came into the world, it exposed the darkness. Read John. Read the Gospel of John. I highly recommend that. It's such a wonderful personal devotion. The Gospel of John. The light came in and exposed the darkness and melted the darkness away in the hearts of many. But some liked their darkness and they stayed there. And so he says in verse 18, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. You see, God chose to put his name to be associated with that city, Jerusalem, with that temple. He put his stamp on there. And so now his name is associated. And again, in our faith, we remember God's name is associated with us. If you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God has put his name upon you. And his reputation has come upon each of us in how we live our lives. And he says, For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds. You know, again, he knows that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because of your great mercies. A writer put it this way. God in His grace gives us what we don't deserve and God in His mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. Daniel asked the Lord to turn away his anger from Jerusalem and the Holy Temple. He admits the sins of Israel, including Daniel's sins, were the cause of that great catastrophe. But that God had promised to forgive if His people would repent and confess of their sins. And he finishes with a great exhortation. He says in verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. See, Daniel is looking to God for a quick response. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. God's honor and reputation, and he deserved to be restored. He said that in a respectful way. He's asking for the Lord to answer his prayer. 
And we know from our Bibles, we know that historically, we know the truth. God answered Daniel's prayer. Because the next year, Cyrus issued a decree that permitted the Jews to return to their land. To take the temple treasures with them. To rebuild the temple and to restore the worship. What a remarkable ministry, writes Warren Wiersbe. What a remarkable ministry Daniel had in faithful witness to the true and living God and the author of one of the basic books of prophecy in the Old Testament. Daniel set his face before God. He repented. He worshipped. He started by worshipping. Acknowledged God and his greatness. He confessed his sins. And then he pleaded mercy. That's a pattern. It's a good pattern. You and I need to be just as committed to prayer as we are to Bible study, okay? You know, we're a Bible teaching church, but are we as committed to prayer as we are to Bible study? Seeking God's face by praise and thanksgiving. Pleading with Him on behalf of our families, our nation, and our world. On behalf of His mercy, we should plead and ask for God. To act. Psalm 91.15 He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. That's what the Lord will do. We also need to remember that God will have mercy on us and forgive us of our sins. But what we're seeing here is we need to be genuine. We need to be truly repentant. We need to turn away from sin and turn back to to the Lord. That's what repentance is. And that's a life that we live, folks. That's a life we live. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Hmm. Now, aside from our personal devotion and prayer life, just a reminder, we offer three times a regular basis for prayer. We have a ladies' prayer at Miss Rachel's house, Rachel Stevens' house, the Parsons. We have the men's that meet here at the church every other Tuesday. And then every Sunday between 9.30 and 10 a.m., we have our prayer time. So I just want to remind you that we have a time for that, uh, to do that corporately. But now we're going to prepare for our communion. Um, we're going to uh, bring the lights down. We're going to have a time of communion. Before you come up and take the elements... Let's be reminded of our need. Let's, let's take a lesson, perhaps, from Daniel's prayer. Maybe there's some, you know, some things that we need to do. Paul, Paul wrote this when he, he, he brought communion to the church at Corinth. He said, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 and 32, he said, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks of this cup uh, of the Lord with an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You're not taking it seriously. You're not being genuine before the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. So, you know, something we need to take seriously. We need to discern the Lord's body and what he's done for us. And then he says in verse 30 that for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. In other words, that's the New Testament word sleep. The nice way of saying death. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. 
It's, it's, you know, again, right in line with God's character, right in line with what he desires from us. So let's bow our heads and uh, we're going to have some special music. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And as the Lord moves you, I invite you to come up and partake of the communion. Corinthians 11 verse 23 he said for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat 
This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done, the great work that you've done in our lives, in our hearts and minds. Lord, we thank you for the remembrance that you give us, that we might have a fresh appreciation for your great sacrifice and a renewed hope for the covenant that you've made with us, your children, Lord. We thank you for the promise of resurrection, the promise of eternal life with you. We thank you, Lord, for removing the guilt of our sin and the stain of our iniquities. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And sometimes, Lord, you respond quickly. And sometimes you allow us to wait on you for your good purpose. And all of this is ultimately because it brings glory to you and the lives that are surrendered unto you and the work that you choose to do through us. So, Lord, let us be your ambassadors once again. Let us be renewed in our desire to tell others about you, to share your love. Let us be committed to our unity, Lord, our desire to love one another and build one another up. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to move your kingdom forward. Thank you, Lord, that you're merciful, loving and kind. We ask that you go before us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand for our closing prayer. Read it aloud together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen? All right. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.